Bokotov, good morning. Welcome everyone to our Aliyah Day and Hag Sameach Purim. I pray that you're having a great morning so far and a great holiday so far. <clears throat> As we are celebrating uh, really the most joyful day on the entire uh, the entire Jewish calendar, the festival of Purim. I, I pray that uh, all of you enjoyed the Megillah reading last night. I know we had a lot of fun. It was uh, a really uh, a fun experience to do it, to uh, be with everybody and have such a great time. Baruch Hashem. Hope you enjoyed it and we had fun. Today we are going to uh, look at the fifth and sixth aliyot of Parasha Zav as we are studying uh, the second parasha of the book of uh, Leviticus, the book of Aikra, and uh, prayerfully learn some, uh, you know, interesting insights today, things that uh, can help us go grow closer to Hashem, and uh, maybe even to uh, come into relationship um, with this uh, holiday of Boim. So if you have a chumash, an art school chumash anyway, we are on page 583, and uh, the fifth aliyah is found in chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. It uh, goes from verse 14 to verse 21, and the sixth aliyah is chapter 8 and verse 22 through 29. So we're just going to read this, and then we're going to get right into our uh, insights and see what we can glean, as I said. So, <clears throat> verse 14 he brought forward the sin offering, uh, the sin offering bull. Why a bull? Because a uh, the bull was offered for Aaron because of his sin that subsequently was handed down to all the other priests for the sin of the golden calf. So he brought forward the sin uh, offering bull. Aaron and his sons leaned their hands upon the head of the sin offering bull. He slaughtered it. And Moses took the blood and placed it on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. He poured the remaining blood upon the altar, the base of the altar, and sanctified it so that the atonement could be provided upon it. Then he took all the fat that is upon the innards and the diaphragm of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat. And Moshe caused them to go up and smoke on the altar. And the bull with its hide, flesh, and waist, he burned in the fire outside the camp, as Adonai had commanded Moshe. Then he brought near the ram of the elevation offering, and Aaron and his sons leaned their heads upon the head of the hands, rather upon the head of the ram, and he slaughtered it. And Moshe threw the blood upon the altar all around. He cut the ram into parts. Moshe caused the head, the parts, and the fats to go up in the smoke. He washed the innards and the feet with water. And Moshe caused the entire ram to go up and smoke on the altar. It was an elevation offering for a sasaroma. It was a fire offering to Adonai, as Adonai had commanded Moshe. Then he brought near the second ram, the inauguration ram, and Aaron and his sons leaned their heads, hands upon the head of the ram. He slaughtered it, and Moshe took some of its blood and placed it upon the middle part of Aaron's right ear, upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the big toe of his right foot. And he brought the sons of Aaron forward, and Moshe put some of the blood upon the middle part of their right ear, upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the big toe of their right foot. And Moshe threw the remaining blood upon the altar all around. He took the fat, 
and the tail and the fat that was upon the innards and the diaphragm of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And from the basket of matzahs that was before Hashem, he took one matzah loaf, one oily bread loaf and one wafer and placed them on the fats and on the right thigh. Verse 27. He put it all on Aaron's palms and on the palm of his sons, and he waved them as a wave service before Adonai. Then Moshe took them from up on their palms and caused them to go up in the smoke on the altar after the elevation offering. They were inauguration offerings for a satisfying aroma. It was a fire offering to Adonai. Moses took the bread and waved it as a wave service before Adonai from the ram of the inauguration. It was a portion for Adonai as Adonai commanded Moses. So we have here the inauguration of uh, the priesthood. And there's a statement earlier in Aliyah where Hashem, or excuse me, yes, Hashem tells Moses to have all the people gather in front uh, to the entrance of the tent of meeting. As it says in chapter 8 and verse 3, gather the entire assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. It was asked to me of me once uh, a long time ago. Someone said, "How in the world? Just you know, this person's a believer. They they believe in, in Hashem and what, what, et cetera, et cetera. But they're just asking, how is it that when uh, we have the temple again, or uh, that and we all have to go to the temple? This is hundreds of thousands of people." It's the men who have to go. So some of the women, I'm sure, went to the temple as well. But the men were obligated to go. So you have hundreds of thousands of men. And then maybe as time goes by, you end up having millions of men. How, how is it that we all fit? How is that possible? And the answer is it's a miracle. Because you can do the math and figure out how big the uh, courtyard of the tabernacle was, the Mishkan. And so how is it that you're going to get the entire assembly at the entrance of the courtyard? 600,000 people. How is that going to happen? And that's just counting them in. 600,000 men. How's it going to happen? And we learn in actuality, we say 600,000, but really there were 2.4 million converts. So now you have 3 million people. So how in the world are we going to get that? And the answer is, it's a miracle. So Rabbi Monk brings down, here in his commentary, that this is one of the occasions when a small area contained a great number, according to Rashi. The entire community was able to gather at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Because of this phenomenon, which also occurred in the temple in Jerusalem during the pilgrimage festivals, according to Avos 5.8. So even in the pilgrim, excuse me, even in the days of the temple, God did a miracle and caused that space to be enlarged in order to fit everyone. So it says the people of Israel could experience a supernatural withdrawal of the, the divinity into a tiny space of the tabernacle and the holy ark. In this way, they were able to have a perspective that the earthly dimensions are so minute in comparison to the spiritual uh, values. So it says in the... Uh, in the uh, Midrash Tankuma, in uh, Parashat Zav, chapter 12, it says, he said to him, where to? In other words, where do you want me to gather the assembly? And God replied to Moses and said, at the, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
And Moshe said to the master of the universe, how will I be able to gather 600,000 adults and 600,000 young men in the front of the tent of meeting? An area that measures only a base to Sayim, you know, only a small uh, measurement, comparatively speaking. The Holy One Blessed Be He replied, this is what puzzles you? What about these heavens that are very thin, and yet I made them from one end of the world to the other? As it says, who spreads the heavens like a thin curtain and stretches them like a tent to dwell in. Furthermore, in the future, I will do the same in Zion. That is, uh, all the populace from the time of Adam, that is Adam, the first man until the time of the resurrection of the dead, where, all, where are they going to stand? In the future, they will say that places too crowded for me move aside from me that I may dwell. And what will I do for them? I will extend the land, as it says, broaden the places of your tent. So we have just, I just want to point this out, that Hashem uh, caused the uh, tent space to be expanded supernaturally. And he's going to do that in the future. So just to answer the question that was asked to me so long ago, how is it? that we are going to be able to all fit in the temple. And the answer is it's supernatural, which brings us to the concept that everything God does is supernatural. The, the question becomes why, 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 or, or how, how, how. And the answer is always by God's mighty power, his supernatural ability. That's how anything and everything happens. Now, I want to share this insight as well, also uh, from a comment to chapter 8 and verse 2. Talking about the uh, about Aaron himself, as we just read in the two aliot for today, that Aaron is being inaugurated as the um, the high priest, a very great honor. But Aaron has a uniqueness about him that we can many of us can relate to, and that is that he doesn't feel worthy of the position. And so I just wanted to say uh, this, or read rather this comment from Rabbi Monk because. Sometimes we don't understand why God chose us to do what we do, and we may not feel worthy of what we're doing, or even that we have the ability to do, or we may not think that who we are and what we have to offer is of any significance. But what we have to understand is that whoever you are and whatever you're doing, you were called to do it. It's part of your mission. It's what you were created for specifically, and this is the case of Aaron. So... It says here, um, uh, Rashi explains, this is to chapter 8 and verse 2, where it says, um, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, take Aaron and his sons, uh, take Aaron and his sons with him, okay? So the phrase is that is being dealt with here is, take Aaron, kach et Aaron. Rashi explains this to mean take him with kind words and draw him out. When referring to human beings, the word lekeach, to take, is often understood in the sense of attraction through persuasion. In the next chapter, Rashi elaborates further. When he saw that Aaron was ashamed and afraid to come forward, Moses said to him, Why are you ashamed? You were chosen for this honor. This is Rashi to uh, chapter 9 and verse 7. So Aaron was a very humble person. He did not run out and say, you know, I deserve the priesthood. Uh, you know, this this is such a great honor and they picked the best guy because uh, they picked me. And that wasn't Aaron's attitude at all. Aaron didn't feel like 
he should be uh, qualified for anything. It reminds me in a great, a great deal, uh, like Kepha, uh, commonly called Peter, and in the English translations. But um, in religious circles, Kepha gets painted, in my opinion, just very, I don't know, very poorly. Uh, Kepha is, um, he's, he's, he likes to be. People pick on him as the, the dunce, the hothead, the. Uh, the the guy that was supposed to stand up but cowered and became a snowflake and you know all these negative things he was an idiot you know whatever whatever turns out that Kepha was actually the leader of the community of Lepidniks uh, in the first century and he wasn't uh, he was chosen because he had a fishing business he wasn't as if uh, Kepha uh, had a little boat and he was just like some kind of little fisherman out there with a rod and reel he actually had a fishing business a fishing enterprise. When you go to uh, Capernaum in Israel, you notice that of all the houses, which are really quite small in Capernaum, um, Kepha's house was the largest. Why? Because he was a businessman. And most likely why, I'm, I'm just assuming, this is my opinion, uh, most likely why uh, Yeshua chose him, because he had the um, influence that he had being in that capacity. Uh, but he was also very humble. He didn't expect anything. And after he had sinned, which is very similar here to Aaron, after he had sinned, of all people, Kepha, who was the most zealous for Mashiach, was the one to deny him. You think about it. Kepha was so brave that he actually followed the Mashiach all the way to where he was being tried in, in that kangaroo court and and persecuted and so on. Kepha was brave enough to follow him to the footsteps, as it were, of that place. And yet, at that moment, he ended up denying him. And so what did Kepha do? He felt like, you know, my life is over. I've denied the Messiah three times. I might as well just go back to my fishing business. What do I have to offer? What do I have to do? I'm just, it's all over. And he went back. What did Mashiach do? Mashiach went right to Kepha, and asked him three different times, do you love me? And uh, <clears throat> and why did he ask him three times? Because Kepha kind of got a little, frustrated is not the right word, but concerned. Why are you asking me? Of course I love you. Why he asked three times? Because, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you denied me three times. He denied the Mashiach three times. That's what... Yeshua was saying, you denied me three times. So you, he, he denied the Mashiach three times. Therefore, he had to affirm him three times. Also, it's customary that uh, when someone needs to annul a vow, a rash vow, they come before a Beit Din and they renounce the vow. And so what does the Beit Din say? They say to him, essentially, absolved, absolved, absolved. They did it three different times. So what did Kepha do? He had made a vow. He said he, he had brought down curses on himself and made a vow that he didn't know the man. So Mashiach comes to him and he absolves him, absolves him, absolves him. Also, I should note just on that, on that, many of you know this already, but some of you may not. Um, so it says he denied him when the rooster crowed three times. So there were no roosters in Jerusalem. If you read Josephus, you find out that there was, uh, as with most um, municipal Areas you're not allowed to have uh, fowl, not allowed to have chickens inside the city walls. 
Why? Because they spread disease. They 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 can um, they they're kind of dirty animals. You're not allowed to. So there were no there, there, historical fact. There were no roosters in Jerusalem. So what's it talking about when it says rooster? It was not talking about the um, cockadoodle-doo in the morning. It was actually talking about the cockcrow. Who was the cockcrow? The cockcrow was the temple crier. He was the one who opened up the temple in the morning, and he cried out three different times, three different things. He would cry out, priests to your sacrifices, Levites to um, your stations, and Israelites to your service. So this was the three different... Um, uh, three different things. Basically, uh, you know, priests come come to your sacrifices. Levites come to your your place of of, of uh, worship, you know, um, and or service rather. And Israelites come to your place of worship. And so, when uh, Kepha was denying the Mashiach three times, he was denying the sacrifice. He was denying the service of God, and he was denying the worship. And so, you can see with that in mind. Um, he realized when he was denying him what the cock crow was saying. So this is um, this all relates to Aaron because Aaron is like Kepha, <clears throat> very zealous. He's the one to to meet Moses out in the wilderness, basically, and and walk with him to uh, Pharaoh to go before Pharaoh and <clears throat> be so bold to reiterate what the Mashiach what. Moses is saying, and he's right there by the Mashiach's side. Mashiach, in this case, I'm referring to Moses. He's right there by his side uh, all the time and fighting for him. And, and when everybody is turning against uh, Moses saying, how can you do this to us? We don't have any straw to make bricks. There is Aaron telling him to all shut up. And yet, he says it in love though, but yet when it comes time to uh, make the golden calf, he finds himself making the golden calf. And so he probably thinks his life was over. And so now he's being inaugurated as priest and he's thinking to himself, what? I, really? I Me? You need to choose somebody else. But that's not the mission of Aaron. And it all goes back to us is that this is the power of redemption. That we can all fail. We can make mistakes. We can, we can mess up. But we were all made for a mission. And if, if we make shuva, we can come back to that mission. That's the beautiful thing. Obviously, it makes it more difficult, but it's, it's within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Why? Because that's why we were created. So with that in mind, it says, Aaron's attitude, he writes, stemmed from a sense of un unworthiness before the immense honor of being the first servant of God. According to a version in the Taurus Koanim, he suffered from a feeling of guilt because of his role in the sin of the golden calf. This feeling so obsessed him that when he approached the altar surrounded by its horns, he imagined before him the image of an ox. So, again, we're talking about things with which we can relate. Aaron was plagued mentally by his failure. And he never thought himself worthy, which could have been a side benefit of his fall. Because very often God is able to use us more powerfully when we don't think that we're anything. And so in this case, allowing Aaron to fall as he did, only to raise him back up, made Aaron a more humble person. And let me just restate that very often in those cases, when we realize that we have had a big failure in our life, whatever that, whatever that failure is, 
We realize we're not perfect. We realize we, <clears throat> we do not deserve to be in a position of service to God on any level. And we realize that. That's when God says, great, now I can really use you. Because before, if you felt like you had earned it, or you felt like you were entitled to it, or if you felt like you were such a great Zadik, eh, you know, it doesn't work out so well. But in this case, every time Aaron approaches the altar, he realizes, I'm nothing. I am ash and dust. I don't deserve to be here. And God says, exactly, which is why you're here. So anyway... Moshe calmed Aaron by reminding him that he had been selected for this honor. Where had he been selected? From Ganadin. Just like you. Just like me. Our soul was selected for this moment. We were selected for this purpose. Which means if God selected Aaron and he selected you and he selected me, then it means that he knows that we can fulfill the task. So it says, Moses calmed Aaron by reminding him that he'd been selected for this honor. That selection took place at the time of the burning bush, as mentioned by Rashi to Exodus 4.14. At that time, Moses had become unworthy. Furthermore, Moses had previously disqualified himself from a permanent role in the divine service by slaying an Egyptian in his youth. Aaron, on the other hand, had gifts of prophecy while in Egypt, well before the birth of his brother Moses. And moreover, he possessed personal qualities that made him particularly suitable for the functions of a Kohen. So, we see that um, originally God's plan, or God had thought, or maybe the idea was, that Moses was going to be the Kohen Gadol. But because of Moses, Moshe's choice of, he, and it goes on to talk about the fact that Moses spent seven days arguing with God about why he shouldn't choose me, which is kind of another lesson for us. God gives us gifts, and he expects us to use those gifts. And if we say, well, I don't know if I can use my gift because I'm not all that, I'm not all that good, or I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm a little shy, I'm a little embarrassed, I don't know if I'm going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And we keep saying, no, 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 no. God eventually will give it to somebody else. But Moses really wanted to be the Kohen Gadol, but because of his stubbornness of the golden bush, uh, golden bush, excuse me, burning bush, Hashem gave it to um, Aaron. But it doesn't mean that Moses wasn't a priest. In fact, I'm going to read this, put a correlation, I'm trying to make a connection here, not try, but point out a connection between Mashiach and Moses, the first redeemer. Because during the inauguration ceremony that we were reading about in uh, the two aliyahs, the fifth and sixth aliyah today, Rashi points out that Moses officiated the during these seven days, and he's the one who anointed uh, Aaron, and uh, that means that his priesthood was unique, that his priesthood was actually of a higher priesthood. And as a result, we have Aaron who's wearing the eight garments of the high priest. And so Rashi asked the question, what garments were Moshe wearing? Because he was obviously a priest. And it says here that, that Moshe was wearing only a, a white robe. Why? Because for him, a white garment was sufficient. Okay? So... We see that Yeshua, when he appears 
and his majestic form and his uh, translated form, so to speak, whether it was at the uh, garden tomb or even on on the on the um, uh, Mount of Transfiguration, that's often referred to, that we see him wearing white as well. Why? Because there's a connection between Moshe the Redeemer and Mashiach, the final Redeemer. As Moses said, the Mashiach will be like me. So the white robe is significant. So again, we, we know this to be true, that whenever we see something in Scripture, we see something in the Gospels or whatever, it has a significance. The reason that Moses is wearing a white robe only, and the reason that Yeshua shows up wearing a white robe only when he appears in his glory, there's a reason for that. And it's to insinuate, it's to, it's to indicate rather, that his priesthood is, is of a higher na- uh, nature. In the same way that Moses' priesthood was a, of a higher nature, it's in so much that he was able to anoint the Kohen Gadol. Think about that. In order to anoint someone, you have to be on a higher level. So they, he anointed the Kohen Gadol. Why? Because his priesthood was a higher level, indicated in, in part by the fact that he's wearing a white robe which is exactly what Yeshua wore. To that end, in the Gutnik Humash, Rashi was bringing down, there's a whole discussion of here, how we know that, um, how, how do we know that Moses was a priest? And one of the ways in which we know that actually comes from uh, this segment, the verse 22, chapter 8 and verse 22, where it says that Moses was given the right thigh. That is a portion that is given specifically according to Torah law, uh, specifically to the priest. So how come the question is asked, if he's not a priest, how can he receive the right thigh which is given to Aaron? But in this case, it's given to Moses. And what does Moses do with it? He offers it up as 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 a burnt offering on the altar, which the right thigh is normally eaten. But he offers it up on the altar. And so Rashi says, with the exception of this one, we do not find any case where the thigh of a peace offering was offered up on the altar in order to stress Moses' greatness that his level of priesthood was even higher than that of all the other priests. So he offered up the, the right thigh as a burnt offering when normally it's eaten. And this was done to in- indicate that not only was he a priest, but his priesthood was of a higher order. Because his peace, his offering that brought peace, that brought shalom, was offered up at completely, didn't eat of it. To me, that reminds me of the Messiah. So it says here, one detail that remains to be explained is that if Moses were indeed a priest, why did he not wear special priestly garments but instead a white robe? However, it could be argued that Moses' white robe was indeed a special priestly garment, but one suited to the unique priesthood of Moses. Therefore, Moses was indeed a priest. Again, I just wanted to connect the dots on that. And, and and show uh, an explanation, uh, or not an explanation, rather, but a connection between Yeshua wearing white garments and Moses wearing white garments as well. There's a connect, there's connectivity there. 
One final thing I want to share this morning with respect to um, all this discussion is taking us back to us for a little bit to the Ola offering in general. And uh, this is, comes from the Kehol Tumash, the, the, talking about the Ola offering uh, being brought for sinful thoughts. And again, this took me back to an, um, remembering the words of the Mashiach. We know that Messiah Yeshua taught us that that we have to guard our minds. And of course, the example that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount was the uh, the drosh on the Mount was that um, if we look at a woman lustfully and so on. But that's not the only place that Hashem, or excuse me, that Yeshua dealt with thoughts. In fact, if you think about it, no pun intended, uh, he was talking about thoughts all the time. He said, "Do not think that I've come to." abolish the Torah. He talked about uh, being on guard about the leaven of the Pharisees. In other words, the thoughts of our mind. He, he, he talked a lot about thinking and how our thinking shapes us. O ye of little faith, etc. And I think it's in- interesting because we, uh, we give the Ola offering, the whole burnt offering, the thing that is completely given over to God, which is really, I mean, Yeshua, all, all offerings are modeled after him. And, but perhaps... The Ola offering is the quintessential one because it talks about the Ola offering is, is the holiest one. As it says here, this is the law of the burnt offering. Thus, our rabbis taught the burnt offering is completely holy for it is not brought on account of sins. The guilt offering is brought on account of theft, but the burnt offering is not brought on account of a sin nor on account of a theft, but rather it's brought on account of improper thoughts. One who's had an improper thought would bring a burnt offering on account of those thoughts that arise in one heart, as it says, as for what enters your minds. This comes from Ezekiel 20 and verse 32. Meaning that you say, well, wait a minute, I thought improper thoughts were a sin. Yes, they are. But when we capture our thoughts, we talked about this earlier, when we capture our thoughts, we're actually existing on a higher level, a higher level of accountability. In other words, we're not just concerned with what we did or didn't do, but we're concerned to a higher level about what we're thinking about. And in this case, we have Yeshua who becomes the ultimate Ola offering for us and in so doing deals with the battle that goes in our mind, which is ultimately what? The Yetzer Hara versus the Yetzer Tov. And so through Messiah Yeshua, we have the power and the ability to not only receive forgiveness for those impure thoughts, but to war against them unto victory. Hag Sameach Purim, end of our Aliyah today. May you have a beautiful, amazing, and a wonderful holiday today. Make it joyful, make it fun. And with God's help, we will see everybody tomorrow for our prep day Aliyah and taking us into the Shabbat. Shalom, shalom, and blessing to each and every one of you today.